What do you do when you're bored with the genteel life of a plantation owner? You take to the seas and become friends with Blackbeard, of course. Follow the fascinating life and peculiar choices of Steed Bonnet, the Gentleman Pirate, this week on Footnoting History. Hello, and welcome to Footnoting History. I'm your host, Kristen, and today we're going to be talking about a pirate. But not just any pirate, the worst pirate in pirating history. Or at least, so goes his reputation. That would be Steed Bonnet, the gentleman pirate from Barbados. In some ways, he has a really well-deserved reputation. There is a lot of evidence pointing to the fact that Steed didn't really know what he was doing. He was not particularly charismatic or inspirational. He lost control of his ships twice, three times if you count his eventual capture by the authorities, and he didn't really make a lot of money off of his pirating ventures. He didn't kill a lot of people, and when we talk about Steed Bonnet, it's not usually in the context of his own legend, but as a gloss on the larger story of Edward Teach, also known as Edward Thatch or Blackbeard, bet you've heard of him, but Steed Steed doesn't usually merit notice on his own, unless it's to laugh at the gentleman planter from Barbados who had it all and threw it away, only to become the worst pirate ever. Steed Bonnet, pardon me, Major Steed Bonnet, was born in 1688 on the British-controlled colony of Barbados, which is a smallish Caribbean island of about 170 square miles. Barbados was settled by the English in 1627 and operated according to a proprietary patent, which meant that the crown had rights over all the land and then doled out the rights to this land as it saw fit. By 1639, there was a governing body called the House of Assembly and an emerging island elite. This island elite controlled large tracts of land that became organized under a plantation system in the later 17th and 18th centuries. Mostly they were growing sugar, which was quite profitable and labor-intensive, and relied on forced labor. And this is what the Bonnet fortune was built on. There were some indentured servants who worked on the Barbados sugar plantations, but mostly they were exploiting enslaved Africans, and by Steed's time, the majority of the population of Barbados was enslaved. This may be how Steed acquired the title of major, because It certainly was not because of any great military acumen. The white population of Barbados required a militia to effectively suppress the enslaved population. Rebellion was a constant fear, and penalties for insurgents and those who attempted escape were resultingly brutal. Steed was part of this whole system, and by merit of his birth, he was automatically included in the system meant to ensure that the enslaved population was effectively suppressed enough to keep the Barbados economy moving. He probably did not perform any active military service, or at least we have no record of it. Of course, no record in history doesn't mean a thing didn't happen. Another theory as to how Steed got major appended to his name was that he actually did serve during the War of Spanish Succession, which ran from 1701 to 1714. Steed would have been about 26 at the tail end of the conflict, so 
it is possible that his title of major was related to more than just suppressing enslaved Africans, but there is no evidence to actually place him in the conflict. So it's more of an interesting coincidence for historians than anything else. What's particularly funny, given his later life of piracy, is that Steed was sworn in as a justice of the peace on January 24th, 1716. An early account of Steed's life described him as, quote, a gentleman of good reputation, generally esteemed and honored on the island of Barbados. He was, quote, a master of a plentiful fortune and had the advantages of a liberal education. These latter two sentiments would be echoed at his trial as the Attorney General of South Carolina scratched his head and wagged his finger at Steed for turning to a life of piracy when he couldn't have been driven to it out of any great need. So, Steed was not technically a member of the English peerage, but he did lead a pretty comfortable and privileged life on Barbados. His grandfather was one of the original settlers, and his plantation was over 400 acres. He also owned a townhouse in Bridgeport, and Steed inherited all of this at the ripe old age of six when his father died. All this should have meant that Steed was doing pretty well, and compared to a lot of people, he was. But historian Lindley Butler notes a 1715 island census that indicates a successful guy, but not one who was vastly wealthy. We do know that Steed took out a loan of 1,700 pounds right around the time he went to pirating. This was a pretty significant amount at the time, and we don't 100% know his reasons. Maybe he was broke and just needed the money to keep the plantation running. Maybe he wasn't broke, but knew he was off on an adventure soon and wouldn't have to repay it. You would think that his family would still be on the hook for the money, but actually... The sources don't mention whether Steed's wife had to repay this loan or if her husband somehow arranged for himself to be the sole debtor. And yeah, Steed Bonnet was married. He was married and had three kids when he left on his adventures in 1717. When he was 21 years old, he married a woman named Mary Allenby, who was the daughter of another wealthy Barbados plantation owner. And together they had four children, three sons and a daughter. Allenby, Edward, Steed Jr., and Mary. Allenby died very young, sometime before 1715, making him less than five years old. That had to have been traumatizing to his parents. Infant mortality in the 18th century was high, but that didn't mean that parents were not sick with grief when it happened. We don't know for sure how Mary and Steed reacted, but it's reasonable to think it was like this. That first early account of Steed's life, the one that mentions that he was esteemed and honored, also says that when people heard what became of him, they didn't condemn him, they pitied him. They thought he became obsessed with being a pirate because of a, quote, disorder in his mind, which had been obvious to them all for some time. Jeremy Moss speculates that Bonnet did suffer from a true disorder, ranging from mere wanderlust to bipolarism or even dementia. He believes that the descriptions of Bonnet's actions align pretty closely with dementia. The Mayo Clinic does list personality changes, depression, anxiety, and inappropriate behavior in its list of symptoms, 
The Alzheimer's Association says that decreased or poor judgment and changes in personality can also be signs. Definitely those things could be applied to Steed. The same sentence that describes Steed as having a disorder of the mind attributes this disorder to having been occasioned by, quote, some discomforts he found in a married state. That sounds like he was maybe a depressed or anxious person. But as an historian who specializes in the history of medicine, I can tell you that back-diagnosing people in history is problematic at best. Both the Mayo Clinic and the Alzheimer's Association also emphasize memory loss and confusion in their list of symptoms, and nobody talks about Steed that way in the existing sources. The dementia theory is interesting to think about, but there really is no proof for it. Many sources on Steed imply that it was Mary Allenby's nagging that drove him to take to the seas, but we don't have any proof for that either. What we do know is that there were many books out at the time which talked about the adventures to be had on the sea and that ships were forever going in and out of the Barbados harbors, and that at the very least, Steed was aware that there was more to life than being a genteel plantation owner. And also as a genteel plantation owner, he was pretty used to indulging his wishes and maybe didn't think too many steps ahead. Whatever it was that stirred this humor to go a-pirating in Steed, opportunity presented itself when Captain Godfrey Malbone sailed into Barbados in December of 1716. His ship was a 60-ton sloop called the Revenge, and Steed snapped it up and started renovating it. He added more cannons and pretty swanky captain's quarters for himself that included a library. And I admit, I do really love that about Steed, that he was all about going pirating, but he was not about to leave his books behind. It also does really make you wonder just what he thought this whole thing was going to be like, and he must have been disillusioned with the reality pretty quick. The esteemed and honored gentleman of Barbados was also described as, quote, ill-qualified for the business, meaning piracy, as he did not understand, quote, maritime affairs. In other words, Steed had no clue what he was doing out there. Maybe he had some military experience and maybe he didn't, but he absolutely did not know how to sail, which is complicated today, but even more so in the 18th century. People could figure out latitude, meaning positions north and south, by using the sun or navigational tools like quadrants and backstaffs, but they really couldn't tell very well where they were in terms of longitude, meaning positions east and west. Not until there were lunar distance tables and maritime chronometers in the later 18th century. It was hard enough not to get lost, let alone find small islands in the Caribbean and where the shipping lanes were so that crews could effectively target vessels. Navigation charts were considerably underdeveloped in the early 18th century, but they could be quite helpful, and pirate crews are forever stealing the navigation charts along with the money in the rum. Pirate crews were also made up of former navy or merchantmen who had years of experience on the seas. Many people found them difficult to understand because ship crews tended to speak in a kind of maritime shorthand and code. You had to know what you were doing out there, and there was a solidarity that came with that. Steed didn't know any of this, but that didn't stop him. 
what he did do was hire about 100 men to do it for him. For all that we don't know about Steed Bonnet, we do know that his crew did not think too highly of him. He paid them a wage, which on its face sounds kind of nice, a steady income doing an unsteady job, but when he did that, he took away some of the motivation for pirating. The system generally worked because crews got a cut of the plunder, so they were driven to succeed. Steed eroded some of that motivation with his pirate salary there. The fact that he does not seem to have been a particularly astute tactician or charismatic figure also factored into his flop as a pirate captain. Twice his crew removed him in favor of Blackbeard, and at the trial of his crew in Charlestown, South Carolina, one former prisoner testified that a man named Robert Tucker was, quote, their father, not Steed, and also that Steed was not actually in charge. More than anything else, especially in the first phase of his pirating career, Steed Bonnet was just kind of along for the ride. In the spring of 1717, Steed sailed out of Carlisle Bay and Barbados on the Revenge, not bothering to clear customs, and started what he probably thought was going to be a romantic and adventurous life of piracy. No thanks to Steed's maritime talents, the Revenge was spotted around Jamaica and then headed up north to the eastern coast of Northern America, to the Capes of Virginia. And the Revenge did take four ships in those early days, the Anne, the Turbot, the Endeavor, and the Young. Steed and the crew got provisions, clothes, money, and ammunitions from these ships. Most they let go along with their crews, but the turbot was from Barbados, so after using it to careen the revenge, um, and careening is a method of turning a ship sort of on its side so that it's out of the water and can be repaired, Steed burned it. He was at this time calling himself Captain Edwards, hoping that this and destroying any Barbados ships that he came across would shield his true identity. Didn't really work. The captain of the turbot recognized Steed, and when he got back to shore, he reported the news. The story of the gentleman pirate from Barbados was off and running by the summer of 1717. The revenge roamed around the eastern coast before it headed for the warmer waters of the Caribbean in mid-September. Somewhere between Cuba and Florida, Steed spotted a ship he perhaps thought was carrying Spanish treasure from the New World. We don't exactly know why the Revenge decided to take on a large Spanish man-of-war ship, and I could not tell you why the crew listened to the order if it were in fact even given by Steed. Maybe it was because they had been largely successful in their earlier summer raids, but man-of-war ships were enormous, far larger than Steed's 60-ton sloop and far better armed. It was a risky move, and it did not pay off. A lot of Steed's men were seriously wounded or killed, and Steed himself was seriously wounded. They limped down to the pirate haven of Nassau in the Bahamas to recuperate, and it was there that Steed Bonnet met Blackbeard. Blackbeard is probably the most well-known pirate of the golden age of piracy, but we actually don't know too much about him personally. A lot of what we have is wrapped up in lore and confined to his brief, albeit spectacular, pirating life. And even that sometimes contradicts itself. Sources describe him as being a protege of Benjamin Hornigold, who in 1717 was a successful pirate 
sojourning in Nassau. Blackbeard himself was somewhat well-known at this point, but his meteoric rise was still to come, and was in large part thanks to acquiring the revenge. Somehow, and we don't know how, and I really, really wish we knew how, Blackbeard, who is consistently described as a charismatic figure, talked Steed into teaming up. A general history of the pirates, the same source that provides all that delightful color about Steed's early life, says that a few days into the arrangement, Blackbeard realized that Steed knew next to nothing about maritime life, and the crew of the Revenge agreed to replace him with the former bosun, Robert Tucker, as captain, and that Steed then went aboard Blackbeard's ship as a guest. Maybe he felt he had no choice. Maybe he really was just done with the whole thing. Steed was still recovering from his physical wounds, and being replaced so easily as captain had to hurt too. What is perhaps more surprising is that Blackbeard was willing to be so indulgent as to let Steed cruise along with him in his own captain suite with all of his books. Later during the trial of the crew, people said that Steed wandered around on the decks in his morning coat with a book in hand. And that is just not what people typically expect of Blackbeard. But Blackbeard's terrifying pirate reputation that he had did not actually kill that many people. He threatened it a lot and reportedly did things like tie lighted fuses around his head so he looked like the very devil coming for you. But he didn't outright kill people until his final last stand battle in 1718. It seems he did have some affection for Steed Bonnet. Otherwise, he would have just marooned him on an island and sailed off into the sunset, which was a thing that Blackbeard did do. Steed, by this point, was disillusioned and was lamenting his life choices, He reportedly said that he would leave this type of life if he could and go to Spain or Portugal since he couldn't ever face another Englishman again. In November, Steed did regain control of the revenge. For some reason, Blackbeard and the crew agreed to allow Steed back into the role of captain and Steed was off on his own again for a few months. In March of 1718, he repeated the mistakes of his past by trying to take a much larger and more heavily armed ship in this case, a merchant vessel named the Protestant Caesar. Once again, things did not go well, and once again, Bonnet happened to cross Blackbeard. And once again, Blackbeard took over. Apparently, Steed's crew begged him to take charge. And Blackbeard, he of fearsome reputation, had a bit of a heart-to-heart with Steed. He told Steed that, quote, he had not been used to the fatigues and care of such a post, meaning a pirate captain, And it would be better for him to live easy and at his pleasure in a ship such as his, meaning Blackbeard's ship, where he should not be obliged to perform duty but follow his own inclinations. By this point, Blackbeard was at the height of his career. He had captured quite a few ships, one of which would become the famous Queen Anne's Revenge, and he had assembled a small pirate fleet which was powerful enough to successfully threaten Charlestown in the summer of 1718. Steed Bonnet was part of the blockade of Charlestown, where Blackbeard scared the daylights out of everyone and got his demanded chest of medicines before picking up anchor and leaving. And yeah, that is what Blackbeard was demanding. Not gold or guns, but medicine. From the blockade of Charlestown, things quickly went south in terms of Blackbeard and Bonnet's relationship. The small pirate fleet headed for Topsail Inlet, which was a barrier island about 200 miles to the north, 
And it was there that Blackbeard wrecked the Queen Anne's Revenge and another of his ships. There is, and was, a lot of speculation as to whether that was intentional on his part. But in the immediate aftermath, Steed finally decided enough was enough and headed ashore to accept the king's pardon. Piracy was bad enough in the early 18th century that George I of England offered anyone who willingly turned himself in and vowed to renounce their former lives of crime the king's grace, if they did it before September 5th, 1718. Steed was getting in just under the wire, but it still counted. When he returned to Topsail Inlet to reclaim his ship, accepting a pardon did not mean that he had to give up his ship, just as piracy, he found that the revenge had been stripped, and most of the crew was gone. Blackbeard was, of course, the culprit. David Harriet, who was part of Blackbeard's crew, later testified that the best of the crew were convinced to go with Blackbeard, but they were soon marooned on an island off of the Carolina coast. Much to the relief of Harriet and the abandoned crew, Major Bonnet sailed in to save the day. They expected to die on that island, and so when Steed arrived, they were happy to hop on board his ship. He told them that he was off to the island of St. Thomas to obtain a privateering license to go after Spanish ships. Privateering was essentially state-sanctioned piracy. St. Thomas was run by the Danish, who were allied with the English, and neither were any friend to the Spanish. It does seem like Steed, at least initially, had every intention of honoring his pardon and starting his sea adventures anew. He changed the name of his ship to the Royal James and took to calling himself Captain Thomas Richards, but Blackbeard left him with few provisions and a burning desire for revenge. He heard Blackbeard was off the coast of North Carolina, near Ocracoke Island, and instead of heading for St. Thomas, he took off in almost the exact opposite direction. Steed never did find Blackbeard, and that was probably a good thing, considering all the evidence we have of his unwarranted confidence in his own abilities. But he did restart his piracy. At first, he pretended like he was still planning on going to St. Thomas and made some aggressive trades with the ships he encountered. But by midsummer, Steed and the Royal James were not even pretending anymore and started recapturing and plundering ships up and down the East Coast. At this point, Steed was really committing to the pirate thing, and he had apparently learned a lesson or two from Blackbeard and was on the way to his own pirate fleet. Two of the ships that he captured, the Francis and the Fortune, would prove to be his downfall and were the two instances of piracy that Steed and his crew were eventually indicted for. They didn't actually make much money off of these two ships, but in the course of plundering the Francis, Steed's men took over the main cabin, cut up a bunch of pineapples with their cutlasses, and made punch bowls with fruit juice and rum, and sang a bunch of songs to the, quote, pretender's health and hope to see him king someday. As much as I genuinely love this detail about pirates drinking rum punch and celebrating their plunder, and I truly do... The other detail about the pretender to the throne is very interesting. By the pretender to the throne, the witness who testified to the scene at the crew's trial meant James III, or James Stewart, who was at this time living in exile after the deposition of his father in the wake of the Glorious Revolution of 1688. There was a significant effort to return the Stuarts to the throne of England, and this is usually referred to as the Jacobite Rebellion. It seems that Steed's crew were Jacobite sympathizers, and there is a theory based on a lot of Barbados politics that Steed, too, leaned that direction. It may be why he chose to rename his ship the Royal James. In any event, 
the pirate celebrations didn't last too long after the summer of 1718. In September, word reached Charlestown that pirates were in the area and a protective mission was hatched. Colonel William Rett first pursued Charles Vane and his crew, who were legitimately menacing and who were rumored to be in the area. Colonel Rett did not capture Vane, but he heard that there were pirates careening in Cape Fear, and that's where he found the Royal James and its consort ships. Steed once again displayed a staggering amount of bravado. The night before the battle, he wrote and showed to the captain of the Francis a letter to the governor of South Carolina, where he threatened to destroy all shipping in and out of the colony if, and really he felt when, he emerged victorious over Colonel Rhett. During the ensuing battle, Steed paced the deck and threatened to blow the brains out of anyone who refused to fight, which doesn't sound very gentlemanly to me, but does sound very piratical. Ignatius Powell, the bosun of the Royal James, testified that Bonnet was about to do it. His pistol was ready to shoot a man named Thomas Nichols who refused to fight. And the only thing that stopped him was that Steed's friend, an unnamed man who he, quote, loved very well, was shot and dropped dead in front of him. Eventually, the tide of the battle turned in Colonel Rett's favor and Steed raised the white flag of surrender. He and his crew were taken to Charlestown, where they were imprisoned. There was a brief moment when Steed escaped, but it didn't last too long. By the beginning of November, he was back in Charlestown, aware that most of his crew had been convicted of piracy and sentenced to hang, and that he was facing a similar fate. At his trial, Steed pled not guilty, and during the first phase of his trial, which focused on the Francis, Steed made an attempt to defend himself. He seemed to think that it would be persuasive to the jury that he intended to go to St. Thomas, that he never forced anyone to join his crew, and that taking ships by force was, quote, contrary to his inclination. He directly asked the captain of the Francis if he ever saw him, Steed, take his share of the plunder, and if he had ever heard him give orders to take things off of the Francis. I suppose at this point, Steed had little left to lose, and he was probably hoping that the answers here would be no. But that's not what Captain Manwaring said. Manwaring's exasperation comes across clearly in the trial records. He says that he is, quote, Sorry that Steed should even ask him these questions about ordering goods off of the Francis. Quote, for you know that you did. After that, Steed had no more questions. Given that his crew had already been convicted, it should have come as little surprise that the jury returned a guilty verdict for Steed as well. After he was convicted for the Francis, he changed his plea to guilty with respect to the fortune and was sentenced to death. Steed was not prepared for this outcome. And in the month between his trial and execution, he wrote very pitiful letters, one to the governor of South Carolina, lamenting his piratical career and begging for his life. He signed them, quote, your most miserable and afflicted servant and, quote, your most obliged and unfortunate humble servant, Steed Bonnet. There was a bit of public support in Charlestown for the gentleman pirate. It may have contributed to that short-lived escape attempt of his and, Public support continued while he was awaiting execution. Steve Bonnet did inspire people. To pity. Just not Governor Johnson. On December 10th, 1718, a dazed Steve Bonnet was carted to White Point, Charlestown, clutching a wilted bouquet in his shackled hands. He almost fainted when they approached the gallows, and the marshal's deputies had to hold him upright while the hangman fitted the noose. An illustration from A General History of the Pirates shows a bald, lanky man in knee breeches swinging from the gallows. It was a fate 
many of his fellow pirates shared. So, that's the story of Steed Bonnet, the gentleman pirate. Was he really the worst pirate ever? On the one hand, yeah, I mean, he didn't do so great out there as a pirate captain. But on the other hand, he did arguably have some success. He really regretted his actions at the end, but then so many pirates did have a change of heart when they were facing the gallows. 300 years later, we are still talking about the legend of Steam Bonnet, and that is the mark of one successful pirate. This has been Footnoting History. If you like the podcast, be sure to visit our website, footnotinghistory.com, where you can find links to further reading suggestions related to this week's episode, as well as a calendar of upcoming podcasts. You can also like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at History Footnote. Interested in owning some Footnoting History merch? You can find out more through our shop link at the Footnoting History website. A special thank you to all of our Patreon supporters who help allow us to keep Footnoting History open access. And until next time, remember, the best stories are always in the footnotes.